I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Why can't I leave? What is this crazy ride that I'm on? One minute I want out so badly, but the next I'm actually fighting to stay. Do I want to stay? Do I want to go? Why can I not make up my mind? What is wrong with me? There is nothing wrong with you. You have been a victim of an incredibly powerful manipulation tool called intermittent reinforcement. I'm going to describe that tool to you today and tell you why it has such a strong effect on you and so many other victims and what to do about it. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you are in need of some guidance through this nightmare, please reach out to me. I offer both group and individual coaching. You can learn more at my website, www.covertnarcissism.com, or you can email me at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at CNG. Those are three letters that mean Covert Narcissism Group, CNGLifeCoaching.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Intermittent reinforcement. It's the delivery of rewards at irregular intervals. It's the game of sometimes I validate you and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I reward your positive behavior and sometimes I don't. You, the subject, do not receive a reward each time that you perform a desired behavior. So let me give you a little bit more detail on this. So what does it look like? It looks like days and days of silent treatment, no matter what you do, no matter what you try. And then all of a sudden you get flowers. It's hours of a sharp tongue and critical remarks. And all of a sudden, a moment of tenderness. It's weeks of harsh and brutal insults, followed by crocodile tears that seem so genuine and, and rewarding. It's raging fits and dreadful looks, followed by an unexpected and thoughtful gift. You see, continuous reinforcement is when rewards always come after specific behaviors. When you do something nice for this person, they they thank you. You know, when you offer a moment of compassion, you get a a moment of, of genuineness with them, a moment of connection with them. But with intermittent reinforcement, you do not know when that reward will come. You can give, you know, all this good behavior and do these generous things and you might get a sharp tongue or you might get a genuine thank you. The inconsistent rewards are incredibly powerful to cause a behavior to be more persistently repeated. Psychologist B.F. Skinner did a study of this with rats. He discovered that rats pressed a lever for food more steadily when they did not know when the next food pellet was coming. 
then when they, you know, if they received a pellet every time after pressing, uh, that just didn't motivate them as much. They were more motivated to push that lever when the rewards were kind of random. The inconsistent rewards that cause us to work harder to get the reward. We pursue it with much more enthusiasm, paying extremely close attention to any signs of progress. And when it finally comes, it's now a hard-earned reward. So the value of it is higher. It releases huge feelings of relief and success inside of us. And once achieved, this process begins all over again. Covert narcissists use intermittent reinforcement extremely well. There does not seem to be a reason, a method, or a pattern for those glimpses of good behavior, those breadcrumbs that they throw at us, uh, the reprieve from the storm. The normal with a covert narcissist is the silent treatment, the sharp tongue, the critical remarks, harsh and brutal insults, raging fits, dreadful looks. Uh, all of this is their normal. The random acts of goodness are so incredibly rewarding. It's a high that comes from, from them, this, this high that is so intense because they are such, it's such an extreme difference from the normal behavior and the environment that we are experiencing on a regular basis. And I'm going to give you uh, an example, actually, from uh, an experience that I actually just had. And it's uh, that I went skydiving. And in skydiving, you know, I never dreamed I'd actually go. My boys talked me into it and I went skydiving. It was about three weeks ago. And uh, the very thought of it was absolutely terrifying to me. There were three of us going and the tiny airplane, which we didn't know this till we got there. Well, I knew it'd be small, but not that small, um, could only take two at a time. So my youngest son actually went first and he went with a solo, ju solo jumper from the group that was in front of us. As you know, my older son and I watched from the ground, we could not see him in the free fall. Uh, he was just simply too far away and too tiny of a dot in the sky. However, when his chute opened, then we could see him. We, we found where he was because we saw the chute open. My heart was pounding out of my chest. Simply watching my son skydive was almost harder on me than doing it myself. And watching him gliding under that parachute terrified me. I was so eager for him to be on the ground. I thought, you know, what if his chute gets tangled up? What if a large gust of wind comes and, and flips him around? You know, hurry up, get the rest of the way down. And, and I was nervous during this time. And standing there watching, I decided that even while the chute was open and we were just calmly, what seemed to be calmly gliding to the ground, that that probably would not be enjoyable. I didn't think that I would like it even after my chute was open. However, I was completely mistaken. You see, free falling from an airplane for 60 seconds, we dropped 8,500 feet and we reached 120 miles per hour. That is absolutely the most intense and utterly terrifying thing that I've ever done. And when the chute opened, the peacefulness was so extremely opposite from what I had just experienced that I enjoyed it immensely. It was like a peacefulness that I had never known and it was utterly amazing. And if I compare this to living with a covert narcissist, when the tense and stressful situation gets so bad, the relief from the moments of peacefulness is so great 
that it can feel like the best thing ever. The contrast from the intensity of free falling made the parachute ride seem like the most glorious thing I had ever experienced. I truly enjoyed that part of the experience and was not scared or upset at all. Well, this is also true when you're with a covert narcissist because they create such an, a, a, a tense environment and such a, a stressful environment that when you finally get some of those moments of relief, it's such a contrast that, that you just, you enjoy it and the peacefulness and, and, and the, the rush of calmness that comes over you is enormous. When we're with covert narcissists, we can often believe uh, you know, that, that those moments of good behavior come because of something that we did. And, and we will pursue this, you know, even more and more. And we keep trying to do that good behavior to get us back to that. We believe it's something we did or we didn't do, something we said or didn't say. We believe it's something within our control. And so we work really, really hard to get back to those moments. We believe that finally we created that special environment of safety that allowed this poor victim of life to finally trust us and be vulnerable with us. Our intense helper instincts get rewarded. So not only are we so happy with their positive behavior, but we are incredibly proud of ourselves that we worked so hard to get here and we finally did it. We arrived. Little do we know that it's just a high that covers the pain from all the trauma that we have suffered at their hands. It's, it's a fix for all the pain. It's like an addiction. And we actually become addicted to the hope of reaping that reward from them. We work harder and harder and harder to get there like a drug addict desperately seeking their next hit. And I want you to know that toxic relationships are addictive. It's a biochemical bonding, an emotional hijacking, and it actually happens because of chemicals that are rushing through your body. I want to talk about dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that's associated with the pleasure center of the brain, and it plays an incredibly large role in desire and addictions. A rush of dopamine is a strong motivator. It creates intense feelings of euphoria. And in these rocky relationships with covert narcissists and other toxic individuals, when you get the positive rewarding behavior from them, the rush of dopamine is a high like no other. It's like the difference, the contrast of the free fall, the intensity of that free fall from the airplane to all of a sudden the peacefulness while you're gliding under the parachute. This, this rocky relationship with them, the intensity and the bads, the lows are so rough that when this rush of dopamine comes, it's a high like you just cannot believe you are on top of the world. Toxic love is an intense love. The highs are really high and the lows are really low. But it is these highs that keep us hooked. According to Suzanne uh, Cornell, studies show that dopamine flows more readily when the rewards are given out at an unpredictable schedule. This is what we're talking about, the intermittent reinforcement. These unpredictable phases of pleasure and pain cause the brain to pay really close attention and to work harder to get that reward. When we overindulge, let's take this for example, when we overindulge in a pleasurable experience, the dopamine rush is not as high. 
because our brain knows that we don't have to work hard in order to get this again. Something that we can get easily and that it's you know readily available. Our brain doesn't work as hard. Our brain knows we don't have to work as hard to get it. So the pleasure is not as high. It doesn't you know create such a valuable reward. But the rewards that are hard to get, those produce the greatest rush of dopamine, this, this neurotransmitter that's inside of you. And when that hit of peace or connection comes with the covert narcissist in your life, the relief is so incredibly huge. One reason that it's so overwhelmingly satisfying is because it's so extreme from how you've been living and feeling leading up to it, just like the difference when I went skydiving. When the tense and stressful situations get so bad, the relief from the moments of peacefulness are so great that it can feel like the best thing ever. The contrast is huge. And when we are living in that toxic environment and under nearly constant tension and stress, the brief moments of reprieve can feel incredibly rich and satisfying. When contrasted with all the daily trauma, those highs are like flying through the sky, weightless and peaceful. Now let's take a look at that trauma and the effects that it is having on you. Trauma affects the areas of your brain that control your emotions, your reactions, your memory, your ability to plan, your decision-making skills, and so much more. Trauma interferes with your brain's ability to function properly, which throws it into a survival mode. So you're put into a position of suffering from trauma and then hit with a massive dopamine rush from a love bombing tactic from the one who created the trauma. In essence, you become an emotional hostage to this person. This person that you bond with is your captor. This is kind of known as the Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of this. The Stockholm Syndrome is an emotional response when the victim or the hostage experiences positive feelings toward their captor or abuser. And it might be feelings of compassion, care, sympathy, hope. You know, you become their cheerleader, wanting them to succeed. And they're the ones that are hurting you. Uh, a good story of this in the movies is King Kong. You know, when, when she became attached to her captor, King Kong. And of course, with a covert narcissist, you were already bonded to them before the abuse even began, or at least before you were aware of it. You know, it begins with excuses. Well, they're just having a bad day, or my words triggered a past memory, or they don't feel good today, or everyone gets sharp every now and then. We make all these excuses at the beginning of the relationship, and so we're already bonding with them. You know, of course we are. This is our spouse, our, our partner. These little phases of small trauma, if you will, are very easily overlooked. They fall below the radar. Yet the love bombing, the breadcrumbs, those are already happening. And unbeknownst to you, an addiction is beginning. It's similar to the small doses of drugs at the beginning of a drug addiction. It starts small and it just seems okay. But then it grows. The abuse grows. It grows in both intensity and frequency, but by this time you are hooked. You are fighting for them, cheering for them, helping them, supporting them. You are all in. You are addicted. Add to this addiction all the complications of building a life with them. Children, 
family members, finances, a home, jobs, friends, and so on. Remember all of this. Please remember all of this before you blame yourself for being confused, for struggling to make sense out of it, for not being able to leave, for fighting for them and the relationship, for putting up with all the abuse, for reacting in a way that's not you. Please don't blame yourself. You have been emotionally hijacked. To put all of this as simply as I can, all the little periods of blaming, refusing to reconcile, gaslighting, accusing, putting you on the defensive, all of the little things they do, projecting, all of it, they interfere with your brain's ability to function including things like the ability to reason, to control your emotions, and to make decisions. And while all of this is going on, you are receiving doses of dopamine from this person that gradually grow in intensity as the highs and the lows slowly become more and more extreme. So you're being hit with these doses of dopamine that they also grow. The intensity of the abuse grows, the intensity of the dopamine grows, And you are living in a whirlwind of confusion. This is so very similar to a drug addict who can no longer make make healthy decisions for themselves. They're only focused on how to get that next hit. It's the only thing that matters anymore. And as victims of a covert narcissistic abuse, we get there too. The ability to make healthy decisions for ourselves has been taken away from us and we don't even realize it. And our brain becomes preoccupied with how to get that next hit, how to make them happy. What should we do? What should we not do? What should we say? What should we not say? How to have a successful interaction with them, how to feel connected with them. We become obsessed with this. Everything we do gets weighed against their reactions and the pursuit of that reward, which is positive reactions from them. The ultimate trap for many of us is the hope that we can fix them that we can help them to see it, that they will finally listen, that they will become vulnerable to us because we can provide them with enough emotional safety, that we can finally find reconciliation. That is the ultimate high that we are fixated on, but it will never come. Remember this when you find yourself behaving in in what appears to be a nonsensical manner. You know, don't judge yourself. You might go, why in the world did I do that? Or why am I behaving this way? And so many victims come to me and they're they're confused by their own actions. They don't even know who they are anymore. Be gentle with yourself. Don't be self-critical and self-judging. Give yourself compassion and understanding and start working to take care of you. Also, like a drug addiction, we can become extremely protective of our source of the reward. We can challenge anyone who questions our relationship or tries to communicate to us that they believe it's a toxic or abusive relationship. If you have a friend in such a a relationship, you got a friend with a covert narcissist who does not see it yet, and you start trying to help, you might find that they become defensive towards you in the protection mode of their partner. So how do we break this dopamine-driven fixation on the toxic partner in our life? Awareness is a huge first step. Identify the cycle and the chains that are holding you there. 
Listen to what I'm saying in this episode. Go back and re-listen and re-listen if you need to. Do not justify your partner's behavior because you believe that they don't mean to treat you this way. Listen to that again. Do not justify your partner's behavior because you believe that they don't mean to treat you this way. It is very possible that maybe they don't, but I assure you that they also do not mean to listen to you to hear your side of things genuinely, to work to improve themselves and the relationship. They don't mean to do any of that either, which means that they are harming you. Whether they actually see it or not is on them, not you. Brainstorm ways, activities, people that can add spontaneity to your life. People that can add some of a, somewhat of a dopamine rush where you can quit relying on, on your partner for all of that and you can start separating you and finding you outside of this relationship. Whether you stay or leave in the relationship, that's totally and completely up to you. But regardless, you have to find you again. Find things that push you maybe just slightly beyond your comfort zone with a healthy amount of a dopamine rush, but not overstimulating your senses of fear. You know, that skydiving trip, that was quite a level of of intensity and fear. However, it certainly, you know, uh, definitely gave me quite a rush and quite a high. But from my dopamine list that I want to make or I am making, it's a little bit calmer. It's going to include things like, you know, jet skiing, um, parasailing. Okay, I'll do that. Scuba diving, horseback riding, four-wheeling, traveling, hiking, backpacking, whatever it is, find some things now that will help you to find you again. I'll keep you posted as I begin to take, you know, on more adventures in my life. I'll let you know how it goes. And I would love to hear from you as well. Come find me on Facebook. Find me through email. However you need, reach out to me anytime. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.